You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We start with breaking news and a shocking development in the story of the so-called honor killing of a young B.C. woman. Earlier this month, the Supreme Court of Canada cleared the way for the extradition to India of the mother and uncle of 25-year-old Jazzy Sidhu. They were accused of having Sidhu killed for secretly marrying a man they disapproved of. But today, that extradition was suddenly stayed, apparently just as the two accused were about to fly to India. Aaron MacArthur is live in downtown Vancouver for us tonight with the latest details. Aaron, what do we know about this? Sophie, when the Supreme Court of Canada issued that extradition order, Karan Singh said or claimed they had new evidence they wanted the Minister of Justice to review personally. When lawyers for the pair caught wind of the extradition happening, Global News has learned there were three Punjabi police officers in Vancouver to facilitate it. Lawyers filed an emergency motion with the B.C. Court of Appeal this morning. They were granted that emergency motion, but lawyers didn't even know where their clients were. They assumed they were being held in detention in Richmond and only discovered they weren't there during the court proceeding. Uh, my understanding is that it appears that while um, the matter was being spoken to in the Court of Appeal this morning, uh, they were in the air uh, flying to Toronto. Um, however, uh, uh, it is acknowledged now that they will not be removed from the country until uh, this is resolved. Uh, my understanding is that uh, they will remain in Canada uh, for the time being. To me, I see this as just another legal Hail Mary trying to delay justice for Jassing. It's murky. I find it very difficult to believe. But I think and I suspect it's just another delaying technique. Now, that last voice is Fabian Dawson. He wrote the book, Justice for Jesse. He's been following this case for 17 years, and as you heard, this is, he says this is a Hail Mary for justice. It's an emergency injunction, so once that evidence is here and it clears the way for extradition, we'll see if it is a temporary measure or a more lengthy process. Chris, Sophie. Aaron MacArthur in Vancouver for us tonight. Aaron, thank you. Yet another shocking case of road rage tonight, caught by a dash cam video, and this one has led to charges. Global's Catherine Urquhart is in our newsroom with the video and the details on this one. Catherine. Well, Chris, more and more people have dash cams these days, so we're seeing a lot of these incidents. The latest happened in North Vancouver just a couple of days ago. Here's a look. The two drivers were stopped at Main Street and Mountain Highway, only a few blocks from the Second Narrows Bridge. Suddenly, the passenger in the silver car and the driver of the black Mitsubishi jump out of their vehicles and exchange words. Then the female driver exits her car. During the confrontation, the back window of the silver car is broken. They're spitting and the woman throws something at the man. What prompted the road rage? That remains unclear. Police confirm they have identified those involved. The driver of the Mitsubishi has now been charged with assault and mischief, his name not being released. The dash cam video, yet another reminder that you just never know when you're being recorded. Chris, Sophie? Something to remember. All right, thank you, Catherine. Shocking details revealed today about the murder of 17-year-old Serena Vermeersh at the sentencing hearing for the man who killed her. Global's Jill Bennett was at that hearing, and Jill, the court heard that Serena actually seriously injured Raymond Casey during the attack. 
Some new details have emerged during the sentencing hearing for 46-year-old Raymond Casey. We now know on the night he attacked Serena Vermeersh, she fought back. She pulled an exacto knife from her purse and she slashed him across the throat, a cut that required 22 stitches. But she was then knocked unconscious and murdered. The details of Serena Vermeersh's death, difficult for family and friends to hear. They all knew he would reoffend and he still was let out. At Raymond Casey's sentencing hearing, Crown explained how the convicted sex offender followed Vermeersh from a bus stop, forcing her to a secluded area. After she slashed him with her knife, he knocked her unconscious, strangled her with a piece of his T-shirt, then took off with her purse. Crown told the court Casey felt he had to finish her off because he had a record. And he should have had an electronic bracelet. He shouldn't have been released. Why wasn't he one. monitored? He was he all over monitored. the place. Kids saw him here at the parks and... Why wasn't he monitored? Casey had already served 22 years for a violent sexual assault of a woman in Abbotsford. He'd only been out of prison a few months when he killed Vermeersh in 2014. His release at the time came with a public warning as he was considered a high risk to reoffend. We could have prevented this if we just kept this guy off the street. It, it's, it's a terrible shame and, and we're, we're just, it's tragic and we're, we're mad. We're extremely upset. Eight times Casey applied for and was denied parole, having shown no signs of rehabilitation while behind bars. Crown says in his entire adult life, he has spent only one year and three months not in custody. An innocent girl is dead and Romiko has no daughter and she has to live with it. We all have to live with it. In court, several victim impact statements were read, including one from Vermeersh's mother. I regret it over and over. I failed her. I won't forget Serena until the end of my life, and other people won't either. It was also revealed in court Serena Vermeersh's father had been in a coma for several months after a car crash. He died just two months after his daughter was killed. The judge hearing the case has reserved decision. Raymond Casey will be sentenced at 9 a.m. October 20th. Back to you. Jill Bennett reporting tonight. Jill, thank you. We have all felt the frustration stuck in bumper-to-bumper bridge traffic caused by a minor fender bender. What you might not know is that the law often prevents crews from clearing the bridge as quickly as they could. Jennifer Palma is live in Burnaby with the details. And Jennifer, how some Metro Vancouver mayors are calling for changes. Yeah, they'd like to keep this free-flowing. Check this out. The Iron Workers Memorial Bridge is free-flowing currently, but that wasn't the case earlier today. It's not an unfamiliar sight. A crash on Highway 1 at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge causing hours-long delays, backing up traffic for kilometers, adding to the chaos, police vehicles heading against traffic on the bridge deck to assist the injured parties. Commuters, though, are frustrated. It's horrible. I don't know. I've been... Much Very aggravating, yes. <laughs> really bad, sitting for like 10 minutes back on the highway. The bridge sees three or four crashes a week, but just between 11 and 12 in the afternoon today, there were three crashes. North Shore mayors resolving to put forward a resolution at the upcoming Union of BC Municipalities conference to keep traffic flowing across the metro area. There's many people outside of North Vancouver that are affected by this, and indeed the resolution would state that uh, this would apply to other areas of the province, not just at the Iron Workers Memorial Bridge. The mayors are calling for changes to the Motor Vehicle Act, proposing police only attend collisions if there are injuries and or more than $10,000 worth of damage. Currently, they attend if it's more than 1000 and that others, not just police, be able to sign off on a collision reporting form. 
we'd like to have some authority to the towing companies to say, look, we can tow these vehicles right away. Um, there's no injuries here. The, the, the damage is not significant. Let's get them off the roadway so that people can get through. The province says it's listening to the concerns. Uh, if they've got ideas on uh, how to improve situations such as this, such as being able to move motor vehicles, I'm more than happy to look at it and work with the Minister of Transportation. ICBC is paying close attention to this resolution since they use data collected by police. ICBC is certainly open to the idea of increasing the threshold uh, for, for the, the crash limits. Now it's just a matter of identifying how this is going to be affecting the data that we receive. So the mayors will be presenting this resolution at next week's uh, UBCM conference in Vancouver, and they're hoping that if it gets through, that it'll keep the economy and commuters moving. Back to you. All right, we'll see what happens then. Jen Palmer in Vancouver, thank you. Even without bridge crashes, traffic to and from the North Shore can be a challenge at certain times of the day, to say the least. So on tomorrow's News Hour, we'll look at those transportation challenges and possible solutions as we broadcast the show live from the North Vancouver shipyards. We hope you come out for that. Well, there is at least one surprise in the first numbers for bridge traffic after the NDP government dropped tolls on the Portman and Golden Ears bridges. The Mayor's Council has been told the traffic on the Portman is up 25 percent. Not quite as big an increase on the Golden Ears, but traffic on that span is still up by 20 percent. No surprise there, but traffic on the Patello is only down by 11 percent, suggesting that dropping the tolls encouraged more commuters to get back into their vehicles. And that's something the BC Greens had been predicting. Not only has the debt been brought onto public debt, not only have we lost a source of income, but congestion has gone up. It's one of the reasons why tolling is such an efficient means of actually um, avoiding congestion. Coquitlam RCMP are asking for help finding a man involved in a fatal accident involving a mobility scooter. Police say it happened just after 10 o'clock last Friday at the corner of Austin Avenue and Westview Street in Coquitlam. That's 10 a.m. A man riding a scooter struck an 86-year-old woman. She fell and later died of her injuries. What we're asking for today is that the public help us identify whoever was riding that mobility scooter. We don't see any criminal intent here. It looks like an unfortunate accident, but we need to speak to the man who was on that mobility scooter. The man on the scooter is described as Caucasian, 40 to 50 years old, with a full head of gray hair. He's of average build and possibly has slurred speech. The electric mobility scooter he was riding is described as silver or gray with no basket on the front. Anyone with information, please call Coquitlam RCMP. Another frustrating example tonight of how police are fighting an uphill battle to convince some people to leave their phones alone when they're behind the wheel. Nadia Stewart is in Vancouver with a story of two distracted driving tickets in only eight minutes for the very same driver. Nadia. Yeah, it's hard to believe but it happened right here on Granville Street. To say that some drivers are not getting the message is an understatement. For Constable Brar, they are easy to spot. But on Wednesday, he pulled over a distracted driver unlike any he's seen before. He was holding essentially his cell phone to his ears, listening for directions. I did guide him accordingly how to use uh, GPS in a better manner, which is to secure his device. Brar handed him a ticket. That was at 2.22 on Wednesday afternoon. But just blocks from where he was first busted on Granville Street, 
The driver was caught in the act again, a mere eight minutes later. And much to the surprise of Sergeant Mark Christensen. His first comments out of his mouth were, I just got a ticket for doing this. So that was somewhat surprising to me, a little shocking. I asked to see the ticket and saw that Constable Brar had written the ticket and that it was six blocks away or so. In just eight minutes, the tourist from California given two tickets, totaling $736. ICBC says non-BC residents are not let off the hook. Failure to pay could mean calls from debt collectors. So if someone uh, is dumb enough to get two uh, distracted driving tickets within the space of eight minutes, says they uh, have a reckless disregard for the safety of the public, and clearly uh, they have more money than brains. But be they tourists or locals, the message isn't sinking in, even with the increased fines making this an expensive lesson. They need to take it more serious. I think it's a behavioral shift that needs to happen. Um, and, and I think uh, we need to do a better job of reminding our loved ones to pull over. Distracted driving, the focus of a month-long blitz for Vancouver police as they join forces with ICBC to crack down on those who are not getting the message. And based on what officers tell me they're seeing over these past few weeks, the numbers are up. Back to you. Nadia Stewart in Vancouver tonight. Nadia, thank you. Some sad news to pass along now from a noted family known for helping build Metro Vancouver and giving back through philanthropy. Keith Beatty, the patriarch and founder of Beatty Development, passed away last night surrounded by friends and family. He built many of the homes Metro Vancouverites still live in today, including the first five PNE prize homes. He gave millions to SFU, establishing the Beatty School of Business and had a legendary work ethic, missing only a single day to illness in his 70-year career. Mr. Beatty was 91 years old. Some surprising answers tonight to the question of what has caused a dramatic jump in homelessness in the Fraser Valley. As John Hua reports, a recent homeless count dispels the long-held belief of where the increase comes from. Rob Larson may be homeless, but Abbotsford will always be his hometown. Clean up some of the mess around here and doesn't look too pretty from the community, right? So One thing he'd like to toss out is the misconception that people like him are coming from Metro Vancouver and the downtown east side, boosting the homeless population in the Fraser Valley up 74% since 2014. There's a lot, a, lot, a lot of people coming into this community. It's growing drastically. Most not from Metro Vancouver. That percentage dropping considerably, according to the 2017 homelessness survey presented to the Fraser Valley Regional District. All the data show that, and it, it's not the first time that it shows it. It shows it for a number of years now. That's not where the most people, where most people are coming from. In fact, only 13% of the homeless surveyed say they moved from Metro Vancouver. 33% say they moved from within the Fraser Valley Regional District, and the majority, at 38%, say they're from another part of BC. That number more than double the 18.5% discovered in 2014. We have seen an increase in services and facilities in our communities, and so I think that is certainly a pull factor. Those living on the street say they've noticed an influx of people from further out. Resources are down here. They're not up there. You know, in the smaller communities, I don't think there is as many resources as here. The added pressure falling mostly on municipalities, hoping for help from the province and federal funding from the Homelessness Partnering Strategy 
where seven communities are on the list, none from the Fraser Valley. You want to help as many people as you can, but you have to be realistic with the division of responsibility and the funding. Experts say unless something changes, help for the homeless in the Fraser Valley will soon find its breaking point. John Hua, Global News. Time is running out in Mexico. Hundreds of rescuers are putting their own lives on the line to look for survivors of Tuesday's earthquake buried in the rubble, including at the scene of that collapsed school. Conflicting information about who might still be in there in just over a minute. Remember this from the summer? A robber holds up a Starbucks until another customer steps in to stop him. Well, you won't believe what's happening to that good Samaritan now. We've got that story coming up a little later on the news hour. And a new dimension in virtual reality showcased at a video game exhibition in Tokyo. Why it's unlike anything you've experienced before. That's coming up on the news hour. Well, it is a race against time in central Mexico to find survivors more than two days after that 7.1 earthquake devastated the country. Authorities say at least 273 people now have died in the disaster. Today, rescuers were focused on a collapsed school, urgently searching for any victims who might still be trapped underneath the rubble. After the frantic calls for silence, rescue teams burrowing deeper into this elementary school, conflicting reports of who may be trapped inside. Earlier, rescuers saying it was children. Tonight, the Mexican Navy says they're all accounted for, but they are picking up signs of life. Inside this courtyard, the center of the rescue efforts, there is a clear sense of urgency, a race against time for first responders who haven't slept or eaten in days. One of the volunteers, an electrician, Christian Jimenez from L.A. The third floor, he came all the way to the ground. It's really bad, though. It's really bad. This rescue mission is dangerous as search teams crawl through small pockets where wooden support beams could snap at any moment. Children who survived the quake have come to watch as their parents cling to hope. I have no words for the family, says Gabriela Rodriguez. It hurts to know their pain. Heartbreak is rattling the region. Businesses and countless homes are now gone. Overnight, three people pulled from the rubble, 36 hours after the earthquake. But tears still flood rescue sites. Beatriz Diaz has been looking for her nephew since Tuesday and fears he is still buried alive at work. NBC's Ron Mott traveled to the epicenter 75 miles from Mexico City. The damage is significant. Everything from this 300-year-old church to more than 2,000 homes damaged or destroyed, even a crucial roadway in and out of town. One businessman says it will take decades to rebuild. The heartbreak is why they need hope. Tonight, this country watching more than just a rescue. This is a fight for survival. And to another unfolding disaster, this time across parts of the Caribbean. It has been 36 hours since Hurricane Maria stormed ashore, destroying homes and flooding streets. The full extent of the damage isn't yet known, particularly in Puerto Rico, because entire areas are cut off tonight. Power is out everywhere, and that's not even the worst of it. Tonight, in the wake of Hurricane Maria, parts of Puerto Rico are desperate. Residents forced to wade through waist-high water to safety. 
many areas unreachable by land or by phone, and virtually the entire U.S. territory is without power. Search and rescue operations from multiple agencies in Puerto Rico and the U.S. mainland now underway. Dozens of families rescued during the early morning with just flashlights to guide them in this San Juan community. Today, we rode along with the National Guard and Governor Ricardo Rosselló, who hasn't been able to communicate not just with mayors in some parts of the island, but even his own parents outside San Juan. Everybody has felt uh, the pain and the anxiety of not speaking to, to loved ones. Maria's path of destruction is relentless, devastating the Dominican Republic overnight. Dangerous storm surge and damaging winds that rip roofs off homes. New video out of St. Croix today shows the extent of the destruction there. We got big trees, big mahogany trees that were rooted out. And in hard-hit Dominica, officials confirmed at least 15 people died from the storm. For many in Puerto Rico, the cleanup is just beginning. It is still extremely difficult to get around San Juan, and this is part of the reason why power lines across this area are down. Virtually the entire island is without power. Many roads are impassable. And as you can see, we're just now starting to get our first look at the devastation. Oh, yeah, it's too much to It's too much to digest in once. Ernesto Pedro oh. rode out the storm in his home and today returned to his business to see what's left of it. It's shocking. It's really devastating for us. Like, it's a lot of money in a short time. Early estimates showed the damage across Puerto Rico could total $30 billion. The emotional toll can't be measured. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Still so much work to do. Air Canada lets an elite athlete down. I would rather have flown FedEx with a horse. A para-equestrian shares her travel nightmare and how the airline handled it. And nature bounces back in a part of the lower mainland where it didn't seem possible. A new title, Wetland, is now complete at Vancouver's New Brighton Park. The park board partnered with the Port of Van Vancouver in consultation with the Musqueam, Squamish and Tsleil-Waututh nations to create the salt marsh, which reverses the work that went into creating an artificial shoreline. Part of the $3.5 million project included installing native plants while removing some old tennis courts and relocating part of an off-leash dog area. The park board says the changes have already attracted juvenile salmon and other marine life. People want to learn now about our history, and it's the full history. People want to understand what's happening here, and this is a great example of how we can do that. So how this was filled in the early 60s and beforehand, and what we're doing to bring it back. She's an up-and-coming Canadian para-equestrian who's competed all over the world, but Noni Hartvickson is anxious about getting on another flight. She needs specialized equipment to get around, but two separate nightmare experiences while flying Air Canada have her rethinking her travel plans next time. Lynn Collier has her story. It's called horse ballet. Noni Hartvixen is an up-and-coming paradressage rider trying to qualify for next year's World Equestrian Games. All my horses are trained to voice command. She has multiple sclerosis, a chronic progressive disease that is slowly taking the strength from her arms and legs. She's just home from a competition in North Carolina, flying Air Canada. On the way there, the plane sat on the tarmac for an hour and a half before she was told her scooter, which she bought specifically for air travel, was a problem. I have been all over the world with this scooter, flown around the U.S., even with Air Canada. 
Noni was told the captain wouldn't fly with her scooter battery in the cabin. I was taken off the plane. I felt extremely embarrassed. In spite of the added stress, Noni and Ultimo excelled, placing in the top three in all of their classes. Flying home, she'd all but forgotten about the battery issue, and then... I was deplaned. The crew had left the plane, and my forearm crutches were somewhere, but not with me. After four days of trying, Noni was getting no answers from Air Canada about where her $800 carbon fiber custom crutches were until Global News contacted them today and were told they'd been found in Toronto. I'm on my way in 10 days to compete locally. I hope to have my crutches back by then. Noni's horse flew FedEx to the competition. She got a picture of him there safe and sound as she was being deplaned. I would rather have flown FedEx with a horse. Lynn Collier, Global News. Well, who needs the gym when you've got housework? A new study shows we have a lot to learn from other cultures who get adequate exercise just from living. And the Starbucks hero who might live to regret stepping in to stop a robbery. Why he may be sued. A good Samaritan praised by police for foiling an armed robbery at a Fresno Starbucks may face legal trouble of his own. Surveillance video from last July shows a man walking in wearing a mask. He pulls out a knife and a gun and demands the barista fill the bag with money. But that's when Good Samaritan grabs a chair and charges at the would-be armed robber. They fight until police arrive, exchanging stab wounds from the knife. Ryan Flores was arrested and charged with attempted robbery, but he's now planning to sue Craig Jerry for intervening, saying the Good Samaritan used excessive force to subdue him. In Health Matters tonight, more proof about the importance of staying active. A major new study shows that any regular physical activity, whether it's a workout, walking to work or school, or even housework, reduces your chance of developing heart disease and an early death. Here's Linda Aylesworth with the details. We know that getting our hearts pumping 150 minutes a week does all kinds of wonderful things for our health. But what kind of exercise is best? The notion up to now has predominantly been that you need to exercise like in your spare time, go to a gym, go running, go swimming. That kind of purposeful exercise is what most studies are based on because most studies are done in wealthier countries. We don't get much physical activity unless we plan to do it. So our jobs don't give us much activity, our house domestic chores don't, and we're usually driving to and from wherever we want to go. But the latest study, the Pure study, which tracked 130,000 people in 17 countries, included those who live in lower income nations, where lifestyles are different than ours. There are a lot more jobs that involve physical labor. Household chores are more laborious, uh, and people use active transportation, whether walking or bicycling, to get around. The study allowed researchers like Dr. Scott Lear at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver to investigate a broader spectrum of exercise types. The findings? Any kind of activity will do. But whether it was recreational activity where people go out for a run or to the gym, whether it was activity done while they're working, walking around, carrying loads, activity doing household chores. 
The fact that everyday life is more rigorous in low-income countries could explain why three-quarters of their population meets the minimum exercise guidelines, whereas only half of Canadians do. So get busy, Canada. You'll be rewarded. It uh, resulted in a 28% reduction in premature death and a 20% reduction in heart disease. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. Makes me tired just watching them. <laughs> right. Coming up, a woman who puts the happy in happy birthday. Today is a birthday! Why she's dedicated her life to throwing parties for children who otherwise wouldn't have much to celebrate. And video game makers take it to the next level. Can you smell the difference? Coming up in just a moment. A sneak peek at this year's Tokyo Game Show and why you'll need all your senses to fully appreciate what's being billed as the next big thing in virtual reality. That's coming up right after Christie's weather forecast. All right. Meteorologist Christy Gordon joining us. Whoops, dropping my pen. Sorry. I'll get, I'll get that for you. <laughs> oh, well, Christy. Maybe not. And ticking, if I had the pen, I would tick off the last full day of summer. Oh, yes. It's a little sad to happen, that's for sure. But uh, it does happen every year around this time, doesn't it? Uh, looking out over the mountain, it was a beautiful day, although we did see a fair amount of cloud. These are stratus clouds, and with this type of cloud, we tend to get beautiful sunsets. So keep your eye on the sky over the next few minutes as the sun begins to set. Fall equinox happening tomorrow afternoon, officially at 1.02 p.m. I just wanted to give you a little bit on what it is. It means that we nearly have 12 hours of day and night, and we experience that right across all parts of the world on the fall equinox. Sunrise here tends to happen close to 7 a.m and close to 7 p.m. is the sunset. Tonight's sunset is just at about uh, 10 minutes after 7. But the one sad part is we are losing 3 minutes and 36 seconds of daylight every day right now. It is tough. I'm noticing it as I'm going home from work. It's getting darker and darker very quickly. That's the sad part about this. But our first day for as we change over to fall, it is going to be beautiful. And the, the reason for that is the jet stream is driving well to the north of us. It's going to shove all those systems well up into the north. North coast, though, you will feel the effects of it. Meanwhile, the rest of the province will be dry for the next couple the days. We will see some cloud cover because the jet stream comes back down into our province. So we'll see some cloud be trailed back into our area, but otherwise expect a fairly uh, beautiful Friday. And in particular, as you head into your weekend, it will be uh, fairly nice, except for the North Coast. So just starting to see the showers tomorrow, but your Saturday certainly will be wet. Those of you in the interior, Prince George, not bad conditions, near seasonal for this time of year, and you'll slowly warm up over the next couple of days. And that's the same for southern regions. Look at this, 20 degrees for Kamloops, 18 in Osoyoos, a nice mix of sun and cloud. Your weekend looking great as well. For the South Coast, we'll see mainly sunny skies. Abbotsford, Chilliwack, hitting 20 degrees, 19 near the water, and just terrific conditions. Now, at this point, it looks like our weekend is dry. We have a slight chance of showers later on Sunday, but I think the majority of the showers won't happen until Monday. So enjoy the next couple of days and uh, your transition into fall. Happy anniversary to Zeta and Bob Killer. They celebrated in Vernon. And our weather window, also with some ultra-stratus clouds. Uh, beautiful sunset just last night from West Vancouver. Thanks, Lloyd, for that one. You may see a similar sunset tonight. That is beautiful. Thank you, Christy. Yeah.
Well, lots of new bells and whistles for game lovers at this year's Tokyo Game Show. And that includes a new feature that might make your virtual gaming experience much more realistic. One VR firm has now added smell along with sights and sounds and touch to the senses. It's created a game where the goal is to make a bowl of ramen. You can reportedly smell the dumplings and scallions. And if you leave it on too long, you smell the food burning. The odors come from a cartridge that's in the headset. Well, then I'll just, I, I would just be hungry. <laughs> I know, I'm not sure whether I'd really enjoy that or not. Well, especially for me, I do not like being in the kitchen. Why would I play a video game where game. I have to cook too? I just want to eat. There was some other cool stuff there, like you can make your own avatar and, and then meet other people potentially that make their yeah. own avatars. You can smell meet them too. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Could add it to anything. Smell a vision. Not if they wear virtual deodorant. It's a good thing they never invented smell a vision. <laughs> Everyone here is fine, don't worry. Yes. Hey, oh, uh, oh yeah, we uh, we smell like crushed fruit. Potpourri, whatever it's you like. Smell. It is a good, good smell. smell. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about the Canucks in China today because they yes. played this morning. But the Whitecaps are a better team this year. We all know that. And Carl Robinson is a better coach. I think if I said I wasn't, then I think I'd be lying. Leadership tips coming up from the Whitecaps boss. Also ahead, all she does is plan parties. 25,000 so far. Why, for many of these children, it's the first birthday they've ever celebrated. Refreshments. Refreshments is what we were talking about in the break. (sighs) Hey, so I uh, looked it up because sometimes I look things up. And Shanghai has 24-plus million people. 24 million people in one city. You would think if a city had 24-plus million people, you'd be able to find more than 10,000 who would like to see an NHL game. But 10 grand was all the Kings and Canucks got today. Uh, And many of them in the stands were expat Canadian and Americans dying for some live hockey. China is still not really big on the game. And that's why the NHL is there, trying to sell it. If it was the NBA, they would have sold it out. Uh, there was a lot of action, though, in this one. A lot of power plays, which has been the case in most preseason games so far this year. Okay, the Shanghai skyline. They had dragons. They had cheerleaders. And they had Trevor Linden and Luke Robitaille, both mascots, Anzi Kopitar and Henrik Sedin, and the guy who I don't know his name in the middle, I'm sorry, to start the game. Power play. Adrian Kempe, 1-0. Vanek, Gagne are supposed to help the power play. Tanner Pearson's gone, and that one's in. I didn't think Markstrom was all that great today. Uh, 2-0, first period. Now it's 3-0. Sven Berchi, that's a power play goal. Perfect shot off the far post. Let's have another look. There's some of the fans right there. Some with Canuck signs. Some clapping, some not. 3-1 in the second period, and Alex Edler takes one. Luckily not in the face, but that's still an alley. He goes straight down to the ice. He'd be okay, though. Third period, same score, 3-1. Marcus Granlin with speed, 2-on-1. Gets his own rebound and scores. 3-2. But if a bit of a mix-up here at the blue line, Stetcher and Hutton go after the same guy, and it leaves Tanner Pearson again. 5-2 the final to do it again in Beijing on Saturday.
Whitecaps are first in the West right now. They are home to Colorado this Saturday, a team they should beat. Colorado is last in the West. Caps haven't lost in six straight games. They've only lost one of their last nine. They are pretty healthy, and they have depth, and they have more than one goal scorer. All good things. But another reason they are better this year is Carl Robinson is better as a coach. Not that he wasn't a good coach before, but he has improved like his players, and he's happy to give you his leadership secrets. Every person's different. You know, you want them all to be a certain way, but they're not, and you've got to work with them, with them people. Players, they're all individuals. You've got to work with them individually and collectively. Um, you've got to learn from your mistakes. And when the day is gone, you wake up the next morning and you've got to put a smile on your face. Life's too short. And that's the way I approach my, my job and my coaches. I, I make it mandatory for them. I want them to have smiles on their faces and push the players every day. And if we come into work every day and we give our all, then the rest takes care of itself. Uh, that is not the way the BC Lions want to see John Jennings on the turf after being sacked. BC has allowed more quarterback sacks than any team in the CFL. That's partially on the blocking, and sometimes a quarterback gets sacked because he holds on to the ball too long. Whatever is causing this, it has to stop. The Lions have great weapons but they haven't been able to use them as much as they'd like. Second attempt. Here comes again. And down he goes. That's where the Lions' season is headed if they don't get their offense back on track. Other than trouncing the hapless Alouettes, the Lions' offense looks dazed and confused, especially against the powerful West teams. BC's averaged only 15 points scored in their last four losses, but it's fixable. It's very simple football. We're meatheads. We're, we're just football players, you know. There's a couple X's and O's. If we just follow those in such a simple fashion, this game is so simple. We don't need to complicate things. The Lions would like to keep it simple by running the football more and doing it more effectively. But in order to get that rhythmic, balanced attack in full swing, you have to stay on the field. you got to get first downs. First downs give you options. Second downs, second and eight, you're, you're not running the football. And that's when the Lions get in trouble. Defenses pin their ears back, making it tough on Jennings and the offensive line to make plays under pressure. Jennings has thrown a league-high 12 interceptions, so the key is to get the run game in place so the coaches and team has confidence in it. If we do get away from it, when we come back to it, we have to make sure we open up the same holes and give Jeremiah, give Jeremiah like um, just a hole to hit. And that's that's the thing is if if we come back to it and we're not opening up anything for them they're not going to call it anymore during the games and if i feel like one run is working you know i'm gonna be vocal enough to let him know but in very nice voice and uh let him know this will this what works and uh, let's let's stick to it it's now or never for us and we got to go out there uh, like i said we got to play well we got to execute each and every play uh from start to finish the lions 20-year playoff streak depends on it very delayed global sports Ooh, your mom dresses you funny. I'm not so sure about those Rams uniforms. Jared Goff and the Rams against San Francisco, these Thursday night jerseys. Oh, first pass of the game by Brian Hoyer is picked. That sets up a Todd Gurley touchdown. And then Gurley again, this time from Goff. He gets two touchdowns in the first quarter. If you have him in your pool, you're having a nice night. 17-10, second quarter, Rams over San Francisco. There you go. Well, you'll see them coming. Yeah. All you will, they won't get hit by a car walking home for sure with those uniforms. All right. Thanks, Squire. You're welcome.
Let's check in with Jay Durant now for a look ahead to Global News at 11. Thank you, Sophie. A confirmed entry vying for the leadership of the B.C. Liberal Party, Sam Sullivan, has officially thrown his name into the hat. A recent poll suggested he's currently in second place in public support. We'll hear from the former Vancouver mayor tonight on the issues he'll be focusing on in the race, including his plans to tackle affordable housing. We'll have that and the rest of the day's news coming up tonight on Global News at 11. All right. Thanks, Jay. The savior for thousands of children who have never celebrated a birthday. Coming up next. Coming up on ET Canada, why Tom Cruise is being partially blamed for a fatal accident on set. Plus, a reality star's stunning split following a domestic abuse allegation. And the cast of NCIS LA celebrates a major milestone. All of that is coming up at 7, right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. Thank you very much, Cheryl. It's a celebration kids have to wait all year long for, their birthday party. But sadly for some children, the party never happens. So one mom has made it her life's work to make up for it. This is a birthday party for kids who could use something to celebrate. How happy are you? Like five-year-old Charlotte Rogers. The party planner is the cat in the hat. Today is a birthday! Also known as Meg's Young. A mother of three and a tutor who was shocked by what an 11-year-old girl once told her. She said, Miss Megs, I've never had a birthday party. I've never even had my own slice of birthday cake. And I honestly remember in that moment, it felt like someone had knocked the wind out of me. After Megs cried, she got busy. When she won $2,500 in a contest urging people to do good in their community, she quit her job and started a nonprofit. The mission? create birthday parties for kids who are poor or homeless. If families are struggling to put food on the table, shelter their families, pay their bills, there's not a lot of extra. Five years later, with more help from the community, she celebrated 25,000 birthdays. Behind the scenes, toys are gift wrapped, ready to go, and Megs gets in character. Welcome, welcome everyone! Kids get all the party trimmings, games, treats, blowing out the candles. I hope with my whole heart that that wish comes true because the kids deserve it. Do you love it? And of course, gifts. I never let it go. (laughs) I play with it like every day. Creating the happy birthday memories every child dreams about. Rahima Ellis, NBC News, McKeesport, Pennsylvania. (laughs) <laughs> Look at that. It's like a Chuck E. Cheese, that place. There's, there's nothing more joyful than a child uh, tucking into a cupcake, for sure. <laughs> uh, we feel a little bit like we got a birthday present yesterday. little celebration. Mm-hmm. Yes, Georgia Strait, fresh off the presses. I think mm-hmm. this uh, week's issue just came out today. And uh, the news hour was named the best newscast by you, thank the you. readers. So thank, thank you so much. Thank you very much. And was it all of our newscasts? Maybe it's all well, of our newscasts. Global news. Global, global news. news. Oh, good. Global news. Like Everybody's that. involved. Yeah. It says newscast, but we like to think newsroom. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, and we finished in a tie for... Uh, <laughs> so, so now you got to arm one. wrestle. He's number one. I'm number two. Well, it was a tiebreaker. It was a tiebreaker <laughs> that came down to height. Oh, if, yeah. it was, if it was brains, it'd be a different result. We but I ended up first. We could arm wrestle. You we could. could. Let's see it. Do it. No, no. Yeah, She'd snap it. my forearms. Yeah. <laughs>